This is the 20th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Strike King Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, Pro, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good morning, and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. And boy, do we have a lot of bass fishing to talk about. Uh, we have a Bassmaster Open that I just competed in, along with uh, 235 other competitors, and it was the all-time heavyweight record for a three-day tournament in Bassmaster history, going out of... Uh, Roland and Marianne Martin Marina and Scott Martin, who lives a block from the Marina on Okeechobee, goes out and has a three day total of 90 pounds, 90 pounds, six ounces, blows the field away by almost 23 pounds, punches his ticket to the 2025 Bassmaster Classic, which if you follow the Elite Series the last couple of years, you realize it has been quite the saga with Scott Martin, he's been like right on. He's either been like first man out or last man in in the Bassmaster Classic the last couple of years. As long as he fishes the next two in that division, which is Santee Cooper uh, at the beginning of March and Hartwell in October, he is in the Bassmaster Classic and he gets the elusive uh, major tournament victory on Lake Okeechobee. We are going to take a deep dive into that today, folks. If you remember the last couple years, uh, we have. After every open, I've kind of taken an angler and then we have taken a deep dive into it. Last year, we had Ben Milliken, who's no longer fishing the opens because he made the Elite Series the previous year. We had Bradley Hallman, who took a deep dive after every open with me, and he no longer is doing it because then he made the Elite Series that previous year. So this year, hopefully, uh, the, the two anglers that we are going to take a deep dive into each open uh, will not be able to do it next year because they'll both be on the Elite Series. Uh, and that is Tristan mccormick today and this is kind of a cool thing with uh strike king and lose if you remember the kings of bass series probably not probably it is the highest quality they have put a lot of money behind uh the brand uh social media team for kings of bass and strike king they did kvd's last ride last year on the bpt and this year uh, i'm not sure what they're doing on the bpt or elite series but they are committing to following uh each of the Bassmaster Opens. They will be on location for all nine Bassmaster Opens following Dakota Ebear and Tristan McCormick. So what we're going to do here on BTL is striking as a sponsor of BTL is we're going to split it up. We're going to have either four or five with Tristan and then four or five with Dakota. Uh, Tristan McCormick this week. So we will bring him in and we'll take a deep dive into the chaos that was the Bassmaster Open on Lake Okeechobee. Okay, down in Louisiana and Texas, it was a live scope fest. The anglers that we expected to do well there did do well there. Led the way was Dustin Connell, who had, I wouldn't call it a down year last year, but compared to his uh, 2022 season uh, where he won multiple events, he is back on top. Final day, he had 112 pounds, four ounces, bested Spencer Sheffield by like 40 pounds uh so they go from every fish counts 
to the best five, which wasn't exciting. And then the first one back, epic blowout. Uh, Dustin Connell, Spencer Shuffield, Drew Gill, Young Angler uh, making his mark. I think he's only like 21 or 22. Jacob Wheeler in fourth and Zach Burge in fifth. We'll talk a little bit about more at the that at the end of the show. And then over on the NPFL on Lake Logan Martin in Alabama, Will Harkins gets a W. He's another young angler who has really uh, come on strong, especially in the uh, MPFL with a lot of close calls. He finally gets the W, uh, primarily a spotted bass fishery, 14 3, 16 13, 16-9, 47-9 for the $100,000 first place prize. Uh, there is also some college, some junior events going on, all sorts of stuff kicking off across the country. But like I said, today the focus is the Bassmaster Open on. Lake Okeechobee and let's bring Tristan in what's up dude what's going on man when you when we went into this if someone had told you it would take uh 90 and a half pounds to win this event what would your initial thoughts have been man I would have stayed at the house probably (laughs) absolutely insane when you think about it and then you think about how Scott Martin did it obviously on his home pond but uh that tournament going into it specifically with the Toyota the week before that took 24 pounds a day to win mid seventies to win. Then a cold front hits. You're talking 15 days straight pressure. I didn't think in any realm of human possibility would the weight records have been broken at Okeechobee. Obviously no, the fish live there. It's been mid 30 bags to win the local events, but 90 pounds, six ounces for Scott Martin. Like, were you a little bit blown away when you kind of saw and realized what Scott was doing to the rest of the field on this fishery? Yeah, I mean, I was man. And he, he was doing something amongst the crowd that really nobody else was doing. And then, you know, you look back at the Toyota, you know, they had, the perfect storm they had a cold front practice and a warming trend and they smashed like you know 24 a day i was like there's no way it's going to take that in the open because you know we had a huge cold front it really did not get that warm in the tournament but you know what scott was doing and it's and it's it was a cool thing to watch with it being in his backyard you know his first bassmaster open victory and i think the first bassmaster title period that he's ever won um it was cool to watch man and you know i was watching live on the way home the third day and i was like gosh almighty he's just i mean he's dialed man you could just tell he was in a rhythm and you know matt just as well as i do when you get in those rhythms and you get that momentum it's like everything just stops everything just blanks out and and you get dialed in and you do your job and you know he come out on top and it was just incredible to watch uh you know he's really good buddies with andrew upshaw uh, and i was uh rooming with andrew so scott uh had had us over for dinner after the first night at his house, which by the way, it's, 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 it's exactly what you'd picture. It's like, he's got the shop and the studio, and then he's got the lanai that's all screened in. They had Cuban food, uh, catered in, uh, and you know, he was talking about having 33 pounds and he just kept saying, you know, man, man, I just, I just got lucky. I just pulled up. I just, I pulled up and I'm trying to get him on the show this week. I know he's super busy. Uh, I texted him, uh, to see if he'd come on BTL, but, uh, extremely passionate not only about lake okeechobee about that fishery about people's experience you know the week before on the toyota series and at the bassmaster open he kind of coordinated all of the golf carts from the neighborhood like literally he's leading the tournament and he's making sure that all of his buddies that live next door the door down the door down had their golf carts who was going to be there to help the anglers to and from he was personally driving people in golf carts the week before to and from their their boats so and you know with the history with all that there but he he just kept saying man i just got i got real blessed real fortunate 
on that day one. And we're like, dude, you had like 33 and a half. Like, how is that fortunate? And he's like, well, he goes, you know, I kind of went through the area. He goes, and, and I, I, I went there in the morning and I noticed there was no one on that little 30 yard stretch. He goes, and I just rolled up and I caught like two, almost 10 pounders. And it was just interesting to watch him. And then day two, you know, we're all fishing and then the drone is up overhead and you look back and there he is and he's doing his thing. And he must have spent on day two and we'll get into the areas and how this all broke down because this is a not only a record setting as far as weight, but also record setting for the amount of boats in one area on a fishery. And we fished opposite areas. You fish on the south end. Uh, I fished over by the uh, Harney Pond area where this chaos went down but it was real dude he spent probably three or four hours in a 30 yard stretch and picked his power poles up maybe twice i've never seen anyone fish like that uh like that before so uh big win uh big win for scott and i'm sure some cool stuff coming on his channel as he documents it uh with mccoy but uh let's get into it uh right off the rip first of all you finished in 78th place which uh doesn't sound great, but what we're talking about here is the Bassmaster Open EQs. So you're, it's a nine tournament season. You're trying not to bomb. Talk a little bit about uh, what your goals were moving from the MLF Invitationals uh, last year and now committing to all nine of the Bassmaster Open EQs in 2024 with the Kings of Bass following you literally every cast and step along the way. Yeah, you know, that, that Kings of Bass, what we're doing there with, you know, Dakota and myself, it's uh, it's a huge opportunity for, you know, both me and Dakota to grow our brands. And, you know, as you guys can tell, if not, if you don't follow my social media, I'm all in on Strike King and Lose. My boat and truck has nothing on it except Strike King and Lose. So, you know, it's a huge opportunity for me. Super blessed and fortunate. But, you know, I fished the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals last year and, uh, you know, nothing against MLF. I just... I, I didn't feel I, I wasn't having fun. I, you know, I didn't feel at home in other words. And when I signed up for all nine opens, like that day, I remember I was like, you know, I was just smiling. I just felt like this is where I need to be as a young angler myself, you know, going forward and having opportunities I have, you know, the Bassmaster opens are where I need to be. And it's a gauntlet, you know, um, like you were saying, all nine eqs and then they take nine overall in the aois to the elite series and uh you know i finished 78th and and the whole the whole reason behind this is to not bomb you cannot afford 120 130 140th place because it's like impossible to make up um ben milliken was the last guy in oh kyle patrick was kyle patrick mm -hmm. was last and he had i looked at his um results on the way home he had like 110th place finish and other than that he got like five checks he won one so for me my goals are you know i wrote them down beginning of the year i i just cannot afford a bomb like and i'm hoping that you know this 78th place finish at okeechobee is by far my worst finish you know i could go get last place at watchtow i don't know but um <laughs> you know it, it and that's it's hard going into a tournament like florida because florida is that wild card aspect of the tournament and of course it's the first one of the year so it's like hey my season's either over or we're good you know what i mean so mm -hmm. with florida you know finishing 78th i was tickled to death with it before that week started me and cody meyer we was like dude we'll take 70th and go to the freaking house because that's the kind of practice i had um i was getting like three or four bites a day and it was just it was grueling and you know i, I was down on south end and south bay and uh you know i just the year before the invitationals we started out the same week in 2023 and I got dead last place. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. 
Yeah, 150th place out of 150 boats. Now, I was 30 minutes late second day, but, you know, we'll we'll rule that out. But, you know, and I knew going into this year, I wanted to, to get in the crowd. Um, and I learned that from last year. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy that wants to go out and do my own thing and be by myself and try to find my own water because I hate fishing in a crowd. You know, just I'm sure like you do, Matt, a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't stand it. It spins me out when I look up and see, you know, Scott catching 33 pounds, 20 yards from me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> but you know, this year I went into a different mindset and I said, I'm going to get in the crowd. Now, uh, South Bay was nothing like Harney's Pond. Um, we got to move around a lot more down there, but still, I still stuck to my plan. I still stuck to my guns and I, I ran down there to South Bay, put the trolling motor down and I did not fire up the motor until 15 minutes left in the, end of the day before I had to check in. So, you know, is what it is. I had, you know, a decent bag both days, 12 pounds and 13. And, uh, you know, but a lot of those bags you guys saw, like 17, 18, 19 pounds, like those were all due to one bite. Um, you know, Ish Monroe had a 911 and he had 18, 19 pounds, whatever it was. You know, that was half his bag in one fish. So, you know, looking back, I did all I could do. I just wasn't fortunate enough to get a big bite. And, you know, that's Florida. You know, Florida is, it all revolves around one bite and i just i just didn't get it either day i'm kind of in the same boat as you i finished 98th in the event uh i think i was 50 i was tied with andrew 13 6 50 uh uh 55th place after day one uh day two i only managed uh 10 pounds two ounces we'll get into a little bit about like how that could possibly happen based on the areas we're fishing but 23 8 i finished in 98th uh uphill climb but not a total disaster so if you guys are wanting to follow us there's two things you need to follow in the in the Bassmaster open so there's a hundred and roughly 155 guys that are fishing uh all nine of the Bassmaster open eqs there are also approximately 75 anglers in each event that are only either jackpotting that event or fishing all three events in one division. So their points don't count. So if you go into the Bassmaster website and you go to the uh, anglers tab and then do the Bassmaster Open EQ anglers, and I'll share the screen right here so you guys can follow this along, you can see that Tucker Smith is leading the open EQs angler points and he only has 199. And then you'll see there are some points that, that skip, like it goes from 186, 184, here's 181 to 178. All those points in between are anglers that we're fishing against in that tournament, but not fishing against for the open EQ race. So well, you finished, uh, 78th in the actual tournament, 57th, out of all of the open EQs is where you finished in this tournament and 69th out of the 155 is where I finished in this tournament. So really while each tournament is important, this is the race uh, that you want to follow as far as points. And then the top nine after one are Tucker, Randall Tharp, Paul Marks, Matt Adams, Austin Cranford, uh, Easton, uh, Fothergill, Sam George, Bo Browning, and Brandon McMillan. So just a little bit of background as far as kind of what you want to be following on that. Uh, I find it very interesting. Tristan, let's go back to practice. Uh, You had some experience on it. You mentioned what happened last year. You're talking a 480,000 acre fishery with a lot of history on it, a lot of experience. The lake changes year to year. Major tournament in the Toyota series taken off the week before. Uh, If you've never been to Okeechobee, you think 480,000 acres, how am I going to break that down? But going into it, I think 99% of the field pretty much knew that there were only three to five spots on the entire fishery where this tournament even had the potential to be won 
how did you break down your practice knowing that such a big fishery was most likely going to fish incredibly small? And then how did you determine where you wanted to be on that fishery? Yeah. So of course, like I said, we knew going into it, um, that the lake was going to fish small. Okeechobee's ginormous, but you know, and that's another cool thing back to Scott, they're fighting for that lake because it is suffering. Um, the weights look absolutely amazing, but the lake is changing. The water looks like crap. There's no hydrilla, no grass in there no more. And even like previous from last year, when I was there for the invitationals, like where Josh Weaver won in 10 house, that was entire hydrilla a field of grass. And now really? went, yeah. And oh, there's there no, was, no hydrilla in there. None. And like where Weaver won, dude was like kind of out towards the middle, like how it looked this year. But then like everybody was like a mile back into marsh and, no, I wheeled in there and I was like, well, you know, going into, I was like, I know, I kind of know where it goes down now. I'm just going to go over there and get in the crowds. I set the motor down, dude. I was looking around. There ain't a freaking boat around in sight. And I was like, oh boy, this ain't good. Um, but you know, Okeechobee, like I said, is huge. And I broke it down. Like, um, I'm going to go to the areas to where I've been here before and I've seen the boats and I know where it goes down. And, you know, I went to Harney's Pond and where Scott won and where you were and, man, I made one pass through there. There was like 40 boats there and I caught like a five and a three on a trap. And I was like, okay. So I stayed there for like another three hours just to see if I can get another bite and shake one off and stone a worm around and stuff. And I never got another bite. And I was like, gosh, Amadi, this ain't good. Um, so, you know, I went day by day. I stayed uh, two days on the north end and three days on the south end. And when I went down to South Bay, um, it was more spread out. Um, the area was a lot bigger in Harney's Pond and, and like, there was a lot more deadheads, I, I guess is what you call them, Matt. You might tune in here and help me here, but there was a lot more stuff underwater that wasn't like grass or high dead reed, cl- uh, dead cattail clumps, yeah. like mount, like mounds of slick mm-hmm. cattail clumps underwater with then, yeah. uh, reeds, uh, reed clumps that were sticking above water. I had, I fished with, uh, Sakai, the, uh, that you know sakai uh who won the co-angler side when you won yeah. the uh at at hartwell and he called them uh giant onion stalks <laughs> he would be like i catch it off giant onion stalk <laughs> but Dude, but th- that, that was kind of what it looked like in there yeah that stuff was gnarly man and gosh almighty did they love hanging a chatterbait up i mean it was incredible but you know back to it down there on the south end there was a lot more of that um and up there in harney's pond there was just that one little football yard or football field size area so i was like you know maybe i can go down here so i put the trolling motor down and, and just started going around i'd get a bite drop a waypoint get a bite drop a waypoint and i was like i know there's gonna be a bunch of boats down here in the derby right so i rolled down there first day and there was like six of us and i was like this is either really good or really bad <laughs> um but you know I'd, I'd stuck to it and you know and i spent three days down there in practice and i seen some really really big ones i caught one almost 10 in practice oh wow and uh i had two other bites in there you know i had them all i had no hook on and i was just reeling them in and they were just clobbered it and i brought them up beside the boat you know there's six seven pounders but no, i just never got one of those bites and and that's like i keep going back to it if you guys have no idea about florida it's an amazing fishery to go fun fish tournament fishing completely different i hate tournament fishing there because you know i feel like there's so much luck involved there's not much skill that goes into it and you can just chunk and whine and oh there's a seven pounder you know a guy i just went down that stretch and a guy just comes behind me and jacks one so you know that's that's kind of it in the grand scheme of things uh i just i like that south end a lot better 
now looking back too with you know way less pressure you know but still it was it was all in all a decent finish but it is what it is uh you said you focused on south bay i went into south bay for a day the water seemed pretty muddy to me in there uh that kind of discouraged me it's also massive uh it it's basically a fishery within itself there were some top tens that came out of south bay doing some unique stuff uh austin cranford uh was in south bay sam george was also in south bay when you when you pop out of that canal from roland martin's marina and you're in south bay how the heck did you determine where you wanted to be and how you found uh, what you would consider the sweet spots or got bit in that because, you know, I fished it for uh, three quarters of the day, uh, one of the days of practice and I had two bites, but then I also ran into my buddy who's like, yeah, I've had six or seven good ones in here. Uh, but it just seemed incredibly hard to break down something with zero contours, so much flat stuff. And really the only difference that you could see, are there some reed islands, uh, and, and different types of vegetation that sticks up above that three foot flat throughout that tens of 10,000 acre area. Right. So, you know, when I got down there, of course, you know, there was a bunch of boats down there. So like, Hey, let's start here. Um, I kind of did that the first day, but then after I started getting some bites, I started like paying attention, like on scope and I sat down and idled around it. And so basically South Bay is a bunch of old ponds. Um, so when you're scanning, you know, you, you could be looking out and there's a bunch of reeds and it's just solid flat bottom, you know, sand bottom, nothing there. And then you get to where, like, you know, the guy said, the onion patches, the, the big deadhead stuff. And that's where the ponds were. That's where the old ponds, it kind of dips down like a foot deeper. And, you know, so once I figured that out, I kind of just spent like the last day and a half of practice idling around and I marked, um, you know, I, did, I had a bunch of waypoints like in a circle. So I knew where I needed to spend my time because as soon as I got out of those, those deadhead reed clumps and you know, nothing, when you're winding a chatterbait and you feel nothing hitting it, like you did not get a bite. Those fish were living in that dead reed head clumps and, you know, that's boiled down to it. I mean, there's a picture of it right there. And that's kind of what it looks like a little bit more open water than in this actual picture. But that is what you're trying to figure out what you need to target. Yeah, and you know, it's funny too, like I watched Scott's video last night, he uh YouTube video, it was a couple of weeks ago, but he was introducing Lou's, you know, he just signed with Lou's and he was going he went down there to South Bay, dude, and he was fishing the exact same crap I was fishing in the tournament. I told my wife, I said, Look, there it is right there, that's exactly what I was fishing. He's like, Oh, there, there's a there's an eight pounder, oh there's a six. I'm like <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I knew they lived down there, but it was just it was really really big area and there was two areas it was going down so where austin and george were they were in like a pond up above me and it was i called it the pit because i only had three bites in there but they were ginormous and but i kind of went more south and got in protected areas and the water cleaned up huge amount of difference between in that little zone i was in and the zone a lot of other guys were in so you know you always hear Florida clear water. That's what you want to find. So and yeah, I just stuck with it and went. Was it a pretty uh, easy decision for you to stay in South Bay after your practice or were you kind of torn as to where you wanted to go? I was kind of torn, but then I was like, I'm going to South Bay. Um, Cause I knew Harney's pond was going to have a tons of freaking boats. I mean, you could look at the Toyota. There was a ton of guys there. And, mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I lived with it and I went down there and, I just stuck to it, you know, because Okeechobee, you can't, Matt, you know, you can't run around. 
um, you kind of got to get in the area and stay there. It's not like, okay, I went down to South Bay. Now let's fire up and run all the way to Harney's Pond. Dude, you can't do that. It's massive. I mean, you can, but everyone kind of gets an area and that's also 40 miles apart. And, you know, what everybody was saying in practice, what I heard was uh, you start your big engine once. And unless you're a local there, you're fishing for a check. And if you start your big engine twice, you're fishing you're fishing for a hundred, which I mean, I finished 98th anyway, without starting my big motor at all, but I have my opportunities. It yeah. is what it is. So, uh, so run down then how you targeted those fish, uh, what you were expecting going into day one and, and how you ended up catching them. So, you know, going in day one, we all knew the wind was going to blow and I was, I was fine with that. Cause that's kind of how it was in practice. And, uh, we didn't have a slick calm day until the second day of the tournament, but going into the first day, the wind was blowing. So I'm going to chunk and wind and I actually have it right here. Um, I was just chunking around a strike King thunder cricket and it's a little simple, compact deal. This is the new tungsten. It's a half ounce. I got the hook cut off. So if it looks funny, that's why, but um, I, kill, I put a rage menace on the back of it, a baby menace. And you can just tell how short and compact this bait is. And, and that was something huge down there in South Bay because a lot of, you know, guys are throwing chatterbaits. Everybody knows that. And just doing something a little different than the field, you know, in my head felt like I could get another bite or two. But that little compact rig really deflect off those deadhead reeds and didn't get hung up a lot. And it kind of stayed in that strike zone. It didn't humble down in there. Or, you know, I tried a three-eighths, but the half for me is always where it's at. But that and then um, – I wind around a strike king cutter worm too, black and blue. But you know, simple stuff, just chunking and winding. And you know, I didn't do what Scott was doing and, and really just picking stuff apart. I was just trying to find those active fish. And you know, the first day I get down there, I didn't have a bite, and it's like 10 o'clock, and I'm starting to freak out a little bit. It's like, man, did I make the right decision or not? And then like from 10 to 11, like it was just boom, 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 boom. I called like 10 times, and they started snapping. So. Now, that made me really confident going into the second day, knowing that there was a bite window. And, Matt, you can adjust to this, too. When we first get out there, the water was in, you know, basically 60 degrees. Once mm -hmm. that water hit, like, 65, 66, that's when they started snapping. Down on South End. I don't know about up in Harney's. But, you know, that's that's basically the grand scheme of things. And, you know, the second day, I go down there, and it's flat calm. And I was like, this is not good. And it's like 1130, and I hadn't had a bite. I pick up Ocho on a wacky and started just pitching at reeds. And I co or done caught one dragging a Senko. And uh, so I did that, and I lost, like, the first three, of course. Good they ones? No, oh, they were, like, two-pounders. But they, you know, wacky rig, yeah. dude. You pitch at a reed, of course the sucker's going to swim back in the reed and swim around it 17 times and get wrapped up. So I lost those. And then uh, I picked up that cutter worm and just lobbed it out in the middle, dude. And just, and I set the hook. It was a 3.8. It was my biggest one. And I was like, hmm, here we go. So I, I picked that up. The, the cutter worm was a huge, huge player for me the second day. I caught basically everything I weighed in on it. And, uh, you know, everybody was down in that area chunking wine and chatterbaits. And I was – that I saw I was the only one that was throwing a speed worm or a cutter worm, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, that, that played a big deal for me. And, I just, like I said, I just didn't get those big bites, never had opportunity, never, you know, lost one that I saw. Um, but, I mean, it's all in all, it's that's basically it in the grand scheme of things. Uh, show that cutter worm again. A lot of the field 
and particularly in practice, we're throwing that, whether it be in June bug or a black and blue, you put a, you Texas rig it, you put a small weight above it. It's a thing in Florida. It's been a thing in Florida. Uh, my co-angler on day two was throwing like uh, uh, basically a, a speed worm, a cutter worm like that. And he had two bites. He caught a 114 and lost an eight pounder at the boat. But to me, it's interesting. You know, you travel all over the country and of course there's regional baits and there's things that, that get bit. But when you come down to Florida, particularly uh, Okeechobee and some of those lakes, it boggled my mind at how effective that is, which if you've never done it, if you're from the Midwest, it's like you're fishing a Texas rig, but you're constantly just reeling it in. Like yeah, there's no work, no working it, nothing. You're fishing it like a chatterbait. Uh, you're fishing it like a crankbait. And it's a big bait too, but you catch a ton of 12 inchers on it. You catch eight pounders on it. It was just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around like how that is so regionally effective just on those lakes. And it's just like if you were on any other lake, just casting it, you're like, holy cow, one hit it while I was reeling it in. Well, this is what you're banking on every single bite with that worm. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a lot of guys, you can throw a bunch of different weights, um, three sixteenths, but I always throw it on a quarter. Um, and just because I can get that extra distance casting and, you know, down there in South Bay, it's staying down, like staying down in that water column was a huge, huge deal with all the structure down in there. There's wood down in there, dead clumps, all that. But man, like you said, just, it, it's so dumb. It's such a dumb, but <laughs> it really is. And it freaking works tremendously. And I, I still, I own thousands of packs of them and they're all in a boat for Florida. And then they all go back here behind me and hang on the wall. Mm -hmm. until the next. I mean, that's just how it is. Um, but it is a deadly combo. I mean, it works in Florida, and it, there's just something about it. But, you know, like I said, it's different than like an old monster-style 10-inch worm, just, you know, slowly dragging. You can cover just as much water with that cutter worm as you can, you know, a chatterbait or a rattle trap or whatever it is because you're just constantly just reeling it, and it's, they'll knock the freaking crap out of it. All right, uh, Tristan, you have a live scope open win uh, under your belt. You're a, are you a live scope guy or a live site? I'm a live site guy. <laughs> okay. Live site. Uh, Lorance, right? No. Scope. No. Garm. Your scope. I got, I got, I got both of them. They're both on front of my boat. I'll dive okay. into that. Okay. Uh, this was the one event. <clears throat> Obviously, we know that stuff can play anywhere. This was the one event that I think a lot of people going into didn't think that it would be dominated by forward facing sonar. Perhaps the guys who only did it would find some bites, which uh, apparently. Uh, Tucker Smith, uh, Trevor, Mc was it Tucker Smith, hey, Emil Martin. Wagner? Yeah, some of those guys found what you would call a traditional forward facing sonar bite, uh, in the canals. Now, that being said, I did not think that forward facing sonar would absolutely dominate the two foot deep grass flats and from what i saw my mind was blown are you on the same page as that yeah so before you dive into this i have a video on my phone and it's from harney's pond and i you know perspective i've never played with it ever and this is what we're talking about guys you know you got your live you got your forward face and you got perspective and it turns it flat and it's like it's almost like a 360 but it's live so i turned that thing to perspective in harney's pond first time ever and, and this, I think this is where Scott won. I have videos on my phone, dude. And I lay that sucker down. I put the trauma underwater, and I see beds everywhere. 
I'm like, and I can see them swimming around, like in the bed. I think they're tilapia. But looking back, I'm almost positive that's where Scott won. And I'll, I can sh- I'll show you after this on, on my phone and on the map where it was. And you tell me if that's where he won. Because, dude, I was mind-boggled. I sat there and pitched a drop shot at him, Cinco, nothing, nothing. I'm like, dude, this is so stupid. They're tilapia. And, you know, but seeing that perspective in that shallow water, and we'll dive into this later too, but I think this is going to play at another tournament we have coming up in the EQs. Very, very much so. Um, very much so that I've done ordered another graph and another, for, you know. I LS3. I did that. Uh, I called Scott from the Bass Tank on uh, Friday at 7 p.m. And I said, we got some work to do, bro. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I am uh, some units and transducers short. I said, and I thought I could do. So I went to the Bass Tank Thursday uh, before I left for practice. It started on Saturday. And I had him put a, a perspective mount on mm-hmm. because y- you could uh, you could see the beds. Uh, and before the off limits, I talked to some anglers down there. Uh, BTL listener Daniel, he's like, "Hey, perspective is key down there. It can help you see the beds." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, I can I can see it on four. Uh, and I saw some pictures, and I've seen some stuff in person to where I was like, "Yeah, this is this is critical." Yeah, and Just so like yeah. So I went through that Harney Pond area in, I had it in perspective the first two days of practice. And then I put it in forward for one day and went through the Harney Pond area. And then I put it back into perspective and was like, oh my God, there's fish everywhere. And like, like you said, I kind of thought there were a lot of tilapia in there. It wasn't until I really slowed down in the perspective that I realized, my God, all these fish are bedding. And even though there's been a hundred boats in here for 15 straight days, there are four to there are two there's well there's 12 inchers to 10 pounders everywhere everywhere and it's absolutely insane we'll dive into that we're going to take our first break of the show when we come back the first uh first show of february breaking down the bassmaster open eq strike king lose pro tristan mccormick a new feature for 2024 uh, Tristan and Dakota will be breaking it down in depth like this following each event. And then you can watch how their tournaments unfolded over on the Kings of Bass and Strike King uh, and lose YouTube channels. Uh, kind of a cool little collab here. So we're going to take our first break of the show. And when we come back, we'll dive into the second half of the show. Uh, we'll talk about what it's like being in the middle of the biggest group of boats in Bassmaster tournament history. It's BTL on a Monday. We'll be back right after this. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96-inch wide-body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance. The Puma STS from BassCat. Feel the rush.
legendary brand. Time to unarm. Strike King. Get the best patterns back by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. All right, welcome back. BTL on a Monday. Bassmaster Open EQ recap on a Monday where we have a number of different champions. Dustin Connell blew the field away on a Demiki rig-dominated Toledo Bend high uh, muddy water, warming trend, a lot of raid there, and the thing's one out in the middle, shaking a spinning rod with the welcome to 2024, folks. Nothing new. <laughs> it's 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 interesting as heck. I'll tell you what, it, it is very interesting uh, on that, and I've had a lot of conversations with Anguish, particularly after this week, and went what went down in the uh, Har- Harney Pond area. So. Uh, real quick uh, rundown of of my practice. I had uh, I basically <clears throat> so here's my problem, Tristan, and this is what I'm struggling with. Which uh, I, I fished through several productive areas where there were multiple uh, top tens out of, and I did not identify them as uh, high quality potential. Specifically, the canal fish. Specifically, one other area. And the the area that I did it was was uh, Harney Pond. But do you find it easy to fish through productive areas in Florida if you don't have the utmost confidence in it? Is it easy to pass up top ten fish in your opinion? Yeah, and it's I'm glad you said that too because Florida is that place to where you can fish through a zone and that could be the winning zone. And like in our case in practice, like we had the cold front, so you know you probably went through those zones when, of course, they're like, oh, there's mm-hmm. another bait going bite you know and you know you can easily do that in florida just because it's so weather related these fish are such on a timer it's not even funny so man i totally get it i did the same thing and i've done it many a times in florida and and it's hard because you know us not being from there and being a local in florida any lake in florida is such a huge huge advantage just because you know they're they're on a timer they're on a clock and you know on a warming front, a guy knows where to go when they're going to be swimming in and they can pull in there and freaking catch them and not even, you know, have to practice there. It's just crazy. Uh, so I will dive kind of more into the ins and outs of this because following uh, the event, uh, Brian New called me and he's like, dude, I want to be on BTL. He goes, I want to talk about this. He goes, this is wild. And I fished uh, next to well, probably about 20, 30 feet from Brian New for the majority of the first day. And then about an hour into the second day, you know, it's dead quiet. There's, there's 
in the immediate area I was in, there was about 30. Within a two football field area, there was about 86 to 100 anglers. And no one talks. Like the co-anglers weren't talking. The boaters weren't talking. There was dead silent. It was at that point that I realized my power pole uh, motor was really loud because I wasn't able to hear other people's power poles because, you know, you only lift them up halfway and then you creep and drop them. But mine were like, and I was very for two days, very self-conscious about how loud my power pole motor was. And I had had a couple of co-anglers in the past be like, dude, you got a loud power poles. And I was like, yeah, who cares? I cared that week. It was like everyone would just turn their head when I dropped. So everyone knew when I pulled up and dropped my poles, everyone else's were dead quiet. Uh, but anyway, we're going to have Brian new on uh, to talk a little bit more about that. But I went through, I went through this hardy pond area, which I knew was a, a community area. I would say every day. And I don't know where any of the Toyota guys fished. I did not practice on Saturday. Uh, I didn't talk to anybody about where they were. I have no idea where that top 30 was. And I thought that would be to my benefit because I figured those places would just get obliterated. Yeah. Uh, so I go into uh, Harney Pond on on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, because I knew it's a community area and I wanted to hit a community area after it had been pulverized in practice. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I'm going to do something sneaky. I said, I'm going to pull out a drop shot because I'm a drop shot guy. So I rigged up a a uh, purple worm on a 316-ounce drop shot, 12-pound test. And I kind of ease in there, and everybody's winding. Speed worms, chatterbaits, and traps. Everybody. Didn't see a spinning rod. And I start you know, working my way around. And you know how it is in an area where you get a feel for it. You go in, you're not sure what the water quality is you're not sure what the cover is but the more you fish you kind of identify like oh this is different there's something different in this section or there's more reed clumps in this section or this has a little creek that runs out to it it's it's there's more reed heads here uh and i got this is the craziest story because i don't i don't know how i ended up doing this in florida so i got into this section and i i was like bite shook it off i never caught one in there shook off seven and i'm in forward still and I see this reed clump and I'm in the corner. I've been in there for about two hours. And I said, Sakai, I said, dude, I said, I said, that looks like a gigantic fish on a reed head. And I pitch my drop shot in there and it goes, don't, and did not move. And I'm like lifted and I'm like, am I in a bolt, like a reed head? Am I in a clump? And it was straight meat, just straight Florida meat. And it slowly started to swim away from the reed clump. And it's like a ball like this on my live scope. And I'm like, dude, I like, I got a 10 pounder on right now. And I, you know, those spinning rod bites where it, you just a hundred percent, it doesn't matter whether it's a spot, a smaller or a large mouth. It's just one of those don't. And there is not nothing. So it lets it go. And I watch it swim back into the reed clump and I'm like, cool. So I put a waypoint and I said, big, I said, I'm starting there. So I run there day one of the tournament. There's, 20 30 boats in the area i was boat uh i was like boat 90 something so i had a decent draw i was right in the middle of the field run the rim canal shoot out seven mile shoot over to it and i get right on the reed clump and i've got uh james niggemeyer behind me and cody myers over to uh to my left and i'm like i think that's garrett rockamore over there anyway there's a lot of there's some good anglers and as i'm getting ready uh drew benton rolls in uh brian new rolls in uh uh andrew loberg rolls in dakota ebear comes from the 
the the backside and now i'm like in the middle of it right because i'm the furthest in but i'm on this reed clump this is 10 20 minutes in get my stuff ready i'm by myself i pitch to that reed head and here's here's the interesting thing so i had put it back into perspective for day one so i couldn't i could see the the bed in there but it, it the way the reeds were it was kind of obstructed right it wasn't like right. a, and i only have one deucer so it's either in perspective or forward like first pitch of the morning three and three quarter eats it everyone's watching landed on the side of the boat sweet guess that fish wasn't as big as i thought it was pitch back in there for good measure another three and three quarter eats it i'm like oh my gosh i said i guess i overestimated how big that fish was but a male had moved in and that was the two Pitch in there a couple more times, lift my poles up, go about 10 feet, drop them back down. Another angler that I didn't know, we were like, Matt, like I was going this way towards the back. He's coming this way. There's boats everywhere. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're literally 15 feet apart, 15 yards apart, I'd say. He cast a Texas rig to the same reed clump that I had just caught the two, three and three quarters of. That big sucker was still in there and it ate his stuff. And it was like, legit between eight and ten i mean it's just like right there i'm watching it i'll show you what it looked like in there uh i've got a bunch of some some pictures pulled up but i did not know that that big fish was still in there and i had caught two four pound bucks off of it yeah and left he wrestles it it tail walks it goes under the boat pulls off <laughs> Gosh, he loses it so now i look up and i've got uh drew benton 10 feet on one side of me brian new 10 feet on the other side of me james niggemeyer 20 yards behind me uh joey nania cody meyer dakota e like it's it's gonna go down and i'm looking in perspective and i look over at drew benton and this is when i realized you got a lot of guys say that it was luck and stuff i consider drew benton one of the the, the top 10 sight fishermen in the world after what i saw for two days on Lake Okeechobee, you cannot convince me that Drew Benton is not the best sight fisherman in the entire world. That I guy agree. had fish marked from practice that he was using strictly off of his electronics, and he would not pick his poles up until he caught that fish. Multiple times over the two days, he moved probably 30, 30 yards in six hours and spent hours on individual fish strictly catching them off of his electronics. He used one one bait, one rod. He put his hood up. He did not care about the 80 boats that were around him. And he just flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped. And then boom, seven or eight pounder. And he caught several of those each day. It was kind of then where I realized there is a little bit of a luck factor here because it's really hard to fig to to get these fish to bite how long you stay there and whether you're going to get them or whether you find one brian knew uh and he'll talk about that on wednesday he caught one eight pounder otherwise he's got 25 pounds for the tournament at one point i looked behind me uh and anyway so i ride those two fish on day one i catch a bunch of fish on the drop shot i never get a big bite i'm in 55th place i'm happy with 13 six it's a warm night overnight i'm talking to andrew uh uh, Andrew's like, dude, warm night, like more fish are going to move in there. Like, think about it. That thing's been hit for 15 days. You're, you'll be fine tomorrow. So I roll back the next day, same boats, same people. At one point in time, I look back, uh, and there's four guys that are all on the side of the boat wrestling fish over six pounds. 
like all at, at once. Uh, this is this is a little bit of a view of uh, just a, a small section of it as, as what it looked like. There it is right there. Uh, that's just one one corner of it. And then where I was fishing, uh, hold on here, was actually back in this corner right here. I mean, dude, look at all those boats in there. It was absolutely insane how many boats. Not a crossword was said. Not a single fight. No one cut anybody off. No one went through there on their big motor. No one even went through there on their trolling motor. I was amazed at how well we all got along. That's incredible. And I would say 50% of the guys caught a big one. And the 50 that didn't finish in the middle of the pack. So like around me, Benton, uh, a couple guys that I didn't know, uh, all caught like one, one or two big ones. And they all cash a check or finish in the top 20. Like James Nigemeyer, myself, Joey Nania, a couple other guys. We didn't get a big one. We finished anywhere from 130th to 70th. Uh, it was very interesting on day two then. So somewhere, you know, or out in here. And then all of a sudden the drone's over here. And I'm like, that's not a Bassmaster drone. And there's only one other dude. It was the Scott Martin drone. Mm-hmm. And Scott rolls in on day two after having 33 pounds. Scott is in the middle of this. Someone uh, in the middle of this stuff on day two. And he's there for probably three and a half hours. And I see him pick his poles up twice in three and a half hours. There's a comment that I saw above. Do you think Scott it had those areas? And do you think it was an information deal? 100% without a doubt, there were three or four guys that literally outfished everybody in that area. They understood it better. Their electronics were dialed better. Their baits were dialed better. And they knew how to get those fish to bite. Scott Martin was one of those guys. He It, it was mind-boggling the amount of traffic that was around him. You couldn't fish a moving lure because you would hit someone else's boat there was no one throwing moving lures or some co-anglers which was annoying because you get close to a boat and you've got a co-angler that's you know chucking a trap at your head and you're like dude just let let me try to fish this clump right here in peace but scott understood it drew Benton understood it the florida guys understood you'd move 10 feet every two hours and literally pick it apart it was the craziest thing that i'd ever seen that's just, you know, their confidence because they know that. They, you know, Scott knew that area. Drew, and I, I'll, I'll second that. Drew Benton is the best sight fisherman in the world, I think. Um, and, you, you know, you can say whoever wants to say, but um, that's that's my pick. I've seen it in action. I mean, Matt, you got to see it, and it's, it's incredible. But, you know, with them pulled down for hours and hours and knowing what they're pitching at and knowing what they're fishing – I can't do that Um, because like if it's 12 o'clock and I ain't got a freaking bass, I'm freaking out. Like I'm on plan C, D and E. Like I'm trying to figure something out. And, you know, Drew's like, Oh, I ain't got a bass. I'm fine. You know, and then he catches an eight and then catches a seven and then, you know, a couple threes. And it's like, you got a giant bag and it's just, it's incredible watching, you know, what went down. I wasn't up there, but like seeing the pictures and like talking to you about it. And it's just like mind boggling. Like, you know how many times those bed fish that Scott caught or Drew caught that, you know, had a worm get drugged through them, whether it was a Senko, a speed worm, or cutter worm, whatever it might have been, 
I, I guarantee it there was hundreds of baits that got drugged through those beds that Scott, you know, had that weight on, Drew had that weight on. And it's just it's just crazy to even think that. It it uh here, I'll throw up another picture. Uh this was this was day one of what that area looked like. So uh that that's me right there. <laughs> there's there's Joey Nania, and you see there's like this little, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six. That's like it looks big there. That's all pretty much within casting distance of each other. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh and you think about it, dude, that area like them it's so shallow there. Everybody's on their trolling motor. You know, like it's like it's a wonder you don't like knock those fish out. I don't understand how those fish which were still there, especially it it was it was really weird to me that more fish moved in because there were more big fish that got caught on day two. Yeah. They blasted them day two. Weight shot up. I mean I, I caught a pound and a half more than I had the first day and I fell ten places. I don't know how that happened. So this was the other thing that I thought was interesting. And I take a lot of shit for this, Tristan, for throwing a spinning rod in the Bassmaster Opens. Over the last four or five years, I can't tell you how many people have said, well, you know, if you get away from the dang spinning rod, you might have a shot to actually do pretty well in this instead of weighing 12 pounds every day. I get like a lot. I get this a lot. I get in there on day one and I'm like, I'm doing my spinning rod thing. I got my drop shot. I'm going to have a little bit of an edge. Uh, I think like two guys out of the 30 guys in the area started with a bait caster. Everyone started with a drop shot or a wacky worm or a Nico. It was crazy. We're on Lake Okeechobee perspective and live scoping fish at two and a half foot of water with light spinning rods. And that's how the majority of these fish were caught 10 to 12 pounds, wacky worm, Nico rig, drop shot including scott martin now scott mixed in some some bait caster but and the crazy thing is when someone hooks one you know it takes a minute you've had guys like lifting up poles moving out of the way so they could go and and follow the fish with their spinning rod trying to keep them out of the bullheads it was wild there was back to the spinning rod there was in the last five years there has been more money won in a hole on a spinning rod than a bait caster anywhere in the country. And I mean, you take Cody Meyer, Cody Meyer is one of my best friends. And, and, you know, years ago he held the world record spotted bass, you know, it was almost 11, it was 11 something, I think. And he had 40 something pounds that day of spotted bass on a spinning rod in like 60 foot of water before live scope was even a thing, you know, and it's, I mean, just because it's a spinning rod and you're in Florida, like, that's what the in, not industry that's what the fishing world has come to because these areas are getting so much pressure everybody's good with electronics everybody you know looks at a map and know where you know hey this contour does it i mean everybody's good now there's there's no advantage and you know the light line the light tackle as sad as it is it's that's what it's coming to i mean i mean florida proved it it's crazy yeah it's it uh I'll I'll just yeah I did not expect Okeechobee to be like this like I mean I ordered uh you know I had I had uh the covert tungsten set in two ounce I was like hey this might you know the punching and stuff but I also really didn't understand what Scott uh if you're not from there it's hard to uh it's hard to understand how a 400 
80,000 acre fishery can be reduced to such small areas. Uh, unless you're a Tharp, unless you're a McMillan, unless you're someone who knows little sneaky spots, yeah. but there should have, you know, I, I talked to so many uh, veterans who had been to Okeechobee for years and years and years and said, uh, and said, dude, it's a shell of what it used to be. And that is, that is the water, the, the high water, uh, which, and you need to go to Scott Martin, uh, challenge yeah. YouTube channel to, to listen to this. Cause he actually understands what's going on. The best way I can understand it is they're keeping the water high because they don't want to dump the water from Okeechobee into the Gulf because it's causing like red tide and impacting the coastal fisheries. But as a result, the high water prevents the, uh, hydrilla the eelgrass and a bunch of different grasses that filter the water that create clean water from growing on okeechobee so it's pushing all these fish into smaller and smaller areas is that the way you understand it yeah and then and that's the thing like you know everybody that watches literally go check it out because they do need you know help they need support and you know okeechobee is a world-class fishery and and i'm telling y'all i mean the weights look really good on paper but matt will back this up it is not in good shape, I don't think. Um, the pressure it's sustaining just because of the high water, you know, there's three areas that the fish are living in, and it's just, it's not the same Okeechobee. You know, I went there when I was 12 or 13. That's the first place I ever went bass fishing. And just remembering back then, like, you could literally go anywhere, and it was clean water, you know, hydrilla, Kissimmee grass was in there, eelgrass, like any type of grass, you name it. And now the place is like chocolate milk. It looks like crap and, and they need help. I mean, it, and it's true because that is one of the best fisheries in the world and it is going downhill fast. Uh, all right. This is something else I want to talk about because I posted a picture of uh, the chaos on my Instagram and I had some people uh, that were talking about like, oh, it's so sad that this is what fishing has come to in 2024. There's the picture right there. There's Brian New. That's me in the middle. There's Drew Benton. There's another boat. I mean, this is us fishing and you see our, all our heads are down. We're looking at it. We're all in the same 20 yard stretch. And I thought about it. I thought, is this what what the sport is this what professional or not? It's not professional. I'm not a professional tournament angler. I fish the Bassmaster Opens. But is this what high level top level tournament fishing has turned into should i have not gotten in that crowd should i have not been there like why did that happen was there whole po so I, i've thought a lot about this tristan i really have and one uh just based on the respect and everything i would venture to say that that 75 percent of those anglers were in there because they got bit in practice and not because they were just there because other anglers were there. Uh, and it was really apparent who was in there and didn't know what the hell they were looking at and who was in there and was in there for a reason. Would you agree that that was, that's pretty easy to tell when you're fishing in a crowd? Yeah. 1000%. Um, and then here's the deal too. Like people that are commenting on your post, um, well, this is what fishing's coming to. Well, first of all, you got to remember we're in Florida, and it's back to what we have said. There's three or four places on Okeechobee that you could freaking get a bite. If you were not in those areas, you were not getting a bite. And it's not what the fishing is coming to. It's, you know, a lot of guys are out here cutting their teeth, you know, doing this for a living. I'm try I mean, I'm one of them. I'm trying to make it to the elites. You know, this is, this is what I'm doing. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to, you know, 
try to cash a check, to try to win, to, you know, to get those points to move forward. So, I mean, just because you look at Okeechobee, and yes, it was the biggest crowd ever that I have ever seen and you have ever seen, and and it, it was sad to look at, but, you know, we all had to do it for a reason, and, and guys were there for a reason. Yeah. Because that's the only place you can get bit. <laughs> uh angie spencer said matt are you saying scott got info and cheated is that what i heard i don't know how you would ever think that i said that what i literally said was that scott outfished everyone because he was a better fisherman and understood it better than anyone like scott was there because scott is scott martin on lake okeechobee and he is the best angler that was on the water that day had zero to do with information i watched him catch three five pounders with 20 boats that had literally fished those clumps probably 75 times over the previous day and a half and he goes in there and boxes 15 pounds off of them in three hours it was probably one of the top five most impressive things that i have ever seen in the history of covering this in 15 years what he was able to do in that area and be so dominant around so many boats i didn't think it would be possible to do that yeah. it's incredibly talented uh the other the other discrete dis the thing that i wanted to make clear was there is a difference in my opinion between uh between fishing fun fishing and competitive high level tournament fishing yep and if you are going out to enjoy your day, to catch fish, to have an Okeechobee experience, go get shiners. This, this was not the place to be no. at all. No. This was not what you, you wanted to do. It would be idiotic. Yep. You can spread out. You could catch fish too. But there is a difference between tournament fishing and fun fishing. Did I find this enjoyable? No. Did I think this was my best opportunity to get out of Florida surviving with eight tournaments left? Yes. Would I do it differently knowing what I know now? Probably not. I was actually impressed on how well everyone worked together. I was in an area where I saw multiple, uh, probably 30 fish over five pounds get caught. Like I said, the tournament winner, the all-time tournament winner weight was in there. Multiple checks came out of it. I fished clean. I did what I thought I had to do. And it is what it is. Do I put the blame on bass? Absolutely not. They're going to Okeechobee. They've always gone to Okeechobee. It is 480,000 acres. And we're the ones who are deciding that we need to fish right next to each other like this. I don't blame anyone. It is the situation that happened. And quite frankly, I thought it was kind of cool to be in it, to be, to be in it, to found that during practice, uh, that exact epicenter, that spot on my own, not knowing who was going to be there and to have witnessed it and kind of survived it. Yeah. And, and the, like what I see in the industry, like that many boats, like the best thing I saw out of that whole deal was like, you know, the respect that everybody showed to each other. Um, there wasn't no fights and nobody's screaming at each other, you know, and, and I didn't go, so I don't know. I'm just going off what everybody's been telling me and like what you've been telling me too, my, mm -hmm. and you know, seeing that as, as a whole is like pretty daggum impressive. Like that, you know, that gives me a lot of respect to all those guys that were in there and, you know, nobody raising their mouth. And I'm sure when Scott came in there the second day, you know, everybody kind of just, you know, let him go in there and do his thing no, because no, no one I, knew that it was Scott because he doesn't have a rap boat. 
Oh, that's true. I literally I was like, damn, I can't believe Scott caught the, all those fish. And one of the dudes was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, he's Scott, right. just, just caught like two big ones. And he's like, Scott who? And I'm like, Scott Martin. And he's like, where's Scott Martin? And I go, see that guy right there? That's Scott Martin. And he's, it, it, he was like, oh, really? I, didn't know. I mean, no one knew it was Scott. There was nothing around him. He was rubbing rails with everyone else. And yeah, he was, in, you know, he was, he, he rolled in there, you know, the first day and had two nines. And I think, I don't know where he was the first day. I know he was in the same group, maybe a hundred yards further down because you kind of just know what's in your immediate, immediate yeah. group right there. Uh, but no, he, he was in an unwrapped boat, mixing it up with everyone else out there, just crushing them. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's so impressive. Absolutely impressive. So after this, is there ever a tournament that will be uh, primarily dominated without some sort of forward-facing sonar, or is this the nail in the coffin as far as you have to have it, you have to have multiple transducers to compete, and there is not a single scenario in which it is not effective? You know, everybody, in the last couple of years, y'all, you go down to Florida, you don't need that forward-facing sonar crap, but... I mean, Tyler Rivette, last year in the elites, dominated out of the Kissimmee River, scoping with a jerkbait. You know, Scott wins here on perspective, live scope. I mean, it's just it, – it's so impressive to see what it's coming to. And, you know, people can say, oh, forward-facing sonar is ruining the sport. There's going to be no fish left to be caught. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Scott Martin just proved that right there. You know, if you know what you're doing and, and you're dialed in with your electronics, you're dialed in with your baits and you know what's in front of you, there's no reason that, you know, forward-facing sonar is hurting the industry, I think. Um, now, you know, there's a lot of hate on it. And but and like I said, you know, this is the 21st century, guys. This is, um, I mean, look at our iPhones. They keep getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Well, hell, all our damn vehicles now are damn near running off the of batteries. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just, it's how the industry is it's it's changing and and if you're not changing with the industry you are going to be so far left in the dust it's not even funny you know and and that's that's my two cents on it um i'm not gonna sit here and rant on it you know but this all boils down to you know i'm doing this as a living so yes i'm gonna have the electronics i'm gonna have all this stuff and i mean to ne it's necessary to do good now i know there's a lot of pressure in the open eqs lord knows this is i think my fourth year doing all of them you have uh, the Kings of Bass crew. You know how much money that Strike King and Lose has put into this. For God's sake, they did Kevin Van Dam last year. They're putting their chips in the Bassmaster Open EQ basket, which it wasn't until Dakota Ebear had like 10 pounds or something on day one. Of course, he came back with 23 and a half and an eight pounder and did well that I realized, dear God, this is incredibly risky because you are doing a points-based system to make the top nine, which is incredibly hard to do anyway, and your one bad decision for being out of it, then having a camera crew crop follow you for basically no reason the rest of the year. Yeah, <laughs> did, basically. Did you do you feel that pressure? I pulled up next to you at the meeting. You had two camera guys. They were having you do stuff. I was fishing right next to Dakota Ebear, who had the camera guys right with him in that mix. Talk a little bit about that Kings of Bass, what you expect, what it's like to have that much attention uh, put on basically every cast and every move you make and knowing that that's going to go for the duration of the season. 
Yeah, you know, having the Kings of Bias, it's it's a lot of pressure, one, because, you know, the competitive side of, of all of us, we all want to do good. But, you know, it's it's also cool to to be able to to share um, the road to, you know, how to get to the elites. I'm not saying I'm going to qualify this year, but I'm, you know, mm-hmm. chasing the, you know, seeing the travel, seeing the practice, seeing what goes into it. I mean, it's a gauntlet, like you said. I mean, it is probably the hardest competition out there, I think. 225 boats, nine tournaments. You cannot afford to screw up, not one tournament. And, you know, with Kings of Bass filming all of it, um, there's pressure there. But, you know, it, it's also cool seeing the finished product. You know, at the, you know the Kings of Bass, we're going to try to release them every – about a week and a half, two weeks after the event. So, you know, here in about a week and a half, it'll come out. Okeechobee will come out. And then we'll be in Hot Springs, Arkansas. They'll be covering that one as well. So, I mean, it's super, super cool. Um, but, yes, it is a lot of pressure. It's nerve-wracking. Um, of course, I want to do good. But then it's like, oh, we're spending about uh, several, several thousand dollars chasing you around. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'll make sure to put that in the back of my head. So, but, you know, it's it's. I mean, it's, I mean, everybody's seen the work that Kings of Bass have done. I mean, there's their videos right there. It's, yeah, if you haven't done it, it's Kings of Bass TV on YouTube. It is absolutely next level stuff. You need to go watch uh, the, the last ride with uh, KVD if you haven't done that. The uh, dedication and the editing and the money that they put into that series is top notch. No one else in the game is doing anything remotely close to this. And yeah, it's got to be cool to, to be featured as, as one of the guys, uh, as one of the guys this year. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's humbling. It really is. And it's, it's such a blessing to be able to do it. And, you know, but moving forward, eight tournaments left, um, there's going to be more pressure already, man. It's like, gosh, I'm, I'm sitting way in line at Okeechobee and close. I'm like, man, I got to get home time. I'm spinning rods up and we're going to clear water. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's literally, like I'm, I'm so, I'm bad at like worrying about the next lake, you know, while I'm at the one I'm fishing. So like, it's big, big time for me this year to take one day of practice at a time, one tournament day at a time, because, and I did it. What was that, Matt? Two years ago, I did the opens. Yeah. So two years ago, I was so worried about points. And this year I have a totally different attitude you know, I was so worried about points, you know, I'm out there fishing somewhere and I'm like, well, let me run over here and catch nine pounds worth of spots to survive. You can't do that in my opinion, because that screws with your whole head. So me this year going forward, I'm going into every tournament like I'm going to try to go win it instead of like, Oh, let's try to go survive and catch, you know, 10, 11 pounds of spots or large mouth or wherever we might be. You know, that's something huge for me this year that I'm trying to, remind myself every time you know fish this tournament as if points didn't matter fish this tournament as you want to win you want to you know just blow the whole field out of the water so that's you know mm-hmm. that's been pretty big for me going into this year and I, I keep reminding myself that because it is i mean and you can attest to that too i'm sure like you know fishing for points and fishing to win is two totally different things and in my opinion if you're going to fish to win you're doing everything you can and you 99% of the time are going to have a bigger bag going to win than you are. Let's go try to survive. 
That works. Uh, Bastionatic has been asked it several times. I want to get it in. He's talking about uh, adjusting the angle of your transducer for perspective or down mode. I'm going to be honest. Like I said, I just put that perspective transducer on right before this. I know how it works. I don't know the finer points. This was the first time that I've really dove into the perspective mode. So uh, I went into this tournament learning the importance of the perspective mode felt comfortable with it after a day and a half. But as far as angles and having it a hundred percent perfect, the rig's going back up to the bass tank this week before Arkansas and getting all this stuff really dialed in. Now that I've seen the power of some combination of, of things, uh, what, what's your take on it? And is there anything you do, uh, transducer wise to see or make it better? Now, I've talked to Dan. Um, Dan runs the Garmin truck at all our events, and I've talked to him about it. So I have, I don't know what mount you have, Matt, but I have that Fish Obsessed mount, the zero degree mount, and I can easily click it over to perspective, no problem. And But it also has different angles, like one mm-hmm. click down or up or whatever. But I was just leaving it flat. Um, and what, what Dan told me, in shallow, shallow water, you just want it flat. You want it perfect. But, like, the deeper water you get, like, say you're fishing 10 foot or, le- or deeper, you click it down one. You know, you go to 20 or 30, you click it down another. And all that's doing is just is picking up the bottom a lot more. Now, I think I've seen Myers boat. We've been out fishing, smallmouth fishing with it. But, like, when you get to, like, 20 foot, it's kind of – that's what I noticed. Like when I was in the lock and stuff, if you had your trolling yeah. motor down, the perspective was kind of like, eh. Yeah, it's more like 12 foot or less type deal. Um, and when, which like, it's a huge deal, clearly. I mean, and it was just crazy to see it in two foot of water. I mean, mm. you could go out to 150 feet and see it. Cody just was insane. in there. He outfished everybody in there. Not everybody. Outfished a lot of people in there. He, uh. On day so one, he, at least. He went day one. He started there, and you know, because we we worked together. Um, mm-hmm. He went there day one and caught like a two pounder, and he said he he had like a six or seven eat a chatterbait at the boat and, no. and lit. And but then uh, by nine thirty, that that sorry sucker was down there in South Bay. <laughs> Son of a gun! Because he All pulled right. up. Right, I mean, I said, "Dang, you didn't last long." He's like, "Dude, I can't do it. There's like nine thousand boats up there." Anything else you want to get in here? Like I said, big shout out to uh, Lou Striking, Tom Brubaker. We were kind of talking about what we were doing uh, with BTL in 2024. And this just kind of seemed like a natural fit, uh, especially uh, as we go forward in the season. Like this is a weird one because, you know, the tournament was just over with, but you're going to have so much video footage uh, and I'll have GoPro footage too. And we'll start throwing some video clips in uh, when we have a couple days to process it. So instead of just photos and, and audio, we'll actually have some visual clips uh, to go with it. Hopefully if, you know, boat flipping fives and stuff like that. But uh, thank you for agreeing to do this. It was great to see you this weekend and I'll see you in like uh, four days down at Washita. But uh, personally on your end, uh, tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, and anything else that you have going on in 2024 with all the changes. Yeah, so my my social media is Instagram and Facebook, McCormick Fishing Official, and um, my YouTube is McCormick Fishing, of course, like we've been talking about. Make sure you guys follow along. Kings of Bass, we're doing all nine of the EQ Bassmaster Open. So, you know, after every event, we're trying, we're, our goal is to get it out two weeks after every event. So keep an eye out for that. Um, amazing quality, like we said, but you know, I'm excited, man. Watch Taz coming up a couple days. And, Dude, you uh, should catch him there. I mean, no pressure, but like that should be a wheelhouse derby. 
Uh, well, I ain't going to get too far ahead of myself. I'm going to have about 10 spinning rods. I got the boats a disaster right now, so I'm rigging up my spin. You know what I mean, though? Like, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm this in the same boat. Like, I really, I really hope something clicks. Let's put it that way. The potential yeah. is there on Washita for something to click. Fair statement. Absolutely. That's a very fair statement. Hopefully so it clicks. We'll see. Wait, yeah, we got a couple days left, man, and we're there. So that'll work. All right. Uh Tristan, I'll let you get back to work. Thanks for jumping on. Uh thanks for jumping on BTL. Appreciate it, bro. See you guys. All right. See ya. All right, that is Tristan McCormick. Really interesting stuff there. You can, it's like an onion. You can peel back all the layers on that. We're going to do that more with Brian New. Like I said, he requested uh, to come on uh, and talk about what it went down. Obviously, with the record breaking tournament, well worth it. So, uh, a lot of news to talk about when we come back. We have uh, classic news, clothing news, uh, a, a lot of stuff to talk about. And then we'll also take a, a, a quick look at what went down in the MPFL in Alabama and also what went down in the major league fishing, uh, slug fest on Toledo Bend. All right, let me get everything organized here. It's BTL on a Monday. We'll be back right after this. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry. So whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips. So if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing, from household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. Having confidence in your tackle while on the water is one of the main things to success in my opinion. In the last couple of years with Denali, I've had just that. From anything from spinning rods, casting rods, tungsten products, even now to casting and spinning reels, I have the confidence to go out there and get the job done and know that all my equipment is going to handle it and do it just the way I want it. The thing about Denali is you've got great quality products at a great price point, so make sure you check them out. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, 
versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com. All right, we are back, BTL, on a Monday. Big shout-out to Tristan McCormick. Uh, First things first, uh, if you follow Bassmaster, I know a lot of people who listen to BTL also follow Miles Berghoff. He's was still is Mark Jeffrey's favorite angler, which is how he kind of ended up on BTL. And then he has been a BTL regular. Uh, his daughter during practice, you can go to miles Berghoff's YouTube, uh, and Facebook pages, Riley, uh, Riley and get all the details on it. Not a good situation. She's 10 month old diagnosed with cancer and in a, about 128 hour, uh, time period. Miles went from worried about how he was going to catch 15 pounds a day on Lake Okeechobee to uh, how to care for his 10-month-old daughter who has cancer. Uh, we're going to do a benefit show for Miles. If you listen to his his video, okay, oh, yeah, I'll just talk about it. So BTL uh, has been involved with St. Jude for the past three years. Kind of a weird deal of how I got involved with St. Jude. I have a second cousin who had uh, leukemia, but like that really didn't have anything to do with it. That was a long time ago. I don't know anybody who has a child with childhood cancer. I didn't have any experience with childhood cancer growing up. I got involved with St. Jude because Adam Bartuzek uh, up in Minnesota from the Crappie Chronicles asked me to fish the uh, Dick Hiley St. Jude Bass Classic uh, two, three years ago up in Wabasha, Minnesota. I went up, I fished it. I was, uh, impressed with how it was ran with how much money they raised for St. Jude. BTL has a platform because the BTL listeners, in my opinion, are the, uh, the best family in tournament bass fishing as far as, uh, call to action, supporting the companies that support it. So you guys have done a really good job of supporting, uh, St. Jude every year for the uh, St. Jude t-shirts, raising money for the Dick Highly St. Jude Bass Classic. And I've got to know Gretchen, who runs that tournament, who's kind of run some ideas off of me just being in the industry as far as how they can get involved more in fishing. So this year, I went to St. Jude, Gretchen, along with uh, uh, Brian Robison and Adam Bartuzek and Fat Cat Newton, and we toured the facility in Memphis the head Memphis, like I, I drove over there, they flew in. And like I said, at this point, it's like, okay, yeah, this is cool. This is a good, uh, a charitable cause, but I didn't, didn't really have a close connection. Uh, and I got to see the campus and see everything that they do. And then, uh, Pate who owns, uh, and runs pro guide batteries. He has a, a, a child who's on the, the backside of treatments from St. Jude. Uh, they've done a really good job with, with, with them so Gretchen from St. Jude uh was working with and actually just got clearance to make St. Jude the official nonprofit of BTL we're talking about doing some shows from St. Jude doing some other fundraisers we're just about to kick off the fundraiser for uh the Dick Highly St. Jude Bass Classic this May and uh Miles calls after he he, he finds out that his 10 month old daughter has uh, neuroblastoma is what they believe. And he's like, Hey, how do I get into St. Jude? And I was like, 
what? I was like, I have no clue. Um, but I did have a contact there, which all this went down in like 24 hours. And I'm not saying that, that BTLer had anything to do with it, but I was able to get him in contact with someone from St. Jude who was able to get him in contact with the right person to give them and their doctors the ability to, to get Riley into St. Jude, which is crazy that I had that connection with it because now like miles is a good friend. Uh, and I, they're in Memphis right now indefinitely. Uh, at St. Jude, getting the best care that they can. So long story short, the last couple of weeks, if you listen to Miles's video, he's very, very hesitant to like ask for money. I think his wife's sister or something started their uh, GoFundMe and no child pays for anything for housing, for any of that stuff, for any of the treatment at St. Jude. It's a research facility. But in the week leading up to going to St. Jude, they had a lot of expenses from a children's hospital that did a great job, but was outside of their insurance network. So that's what the GoFundMe is for. Uh, and I called and I said, Hey, I want to do a show. I want to bring on uh, Joey Nania, who he, he did Sweetwater, the TV show with, and is a good friend. And obviously Matt Steffen, who's his good friend. Uh, and Miles is going to jump on. And, and uh, I'm also probably going to have Mark on uh, just to uh, say hi to Miles on that. But that is going to be Thursday night. 7 p.m. Central Time, and I'll have the link to the uh, GoFundMe account. But this is a two-prong approach, and Miles was very key about this. He's like, yeah, we can do that, but I also want to uh, promote St. Jude, uh, raise money for St. Jude, too. So uh, Thursday night, that would be uh, February 8th at 7 p.m. Central Time, uh, the Berghoff fundraiser show. I don't know how long Miles is going to be able to jump on, but definitely Joey and, and uh, Matt and mark will be on so a little bit of a long-winded story there uh but thoughts and prayers with the Bergov family all right fishing wise uh i d i wasn't able to follow either of these tournaments yeah i might have to mike that's a good thing i might have to figure out how to donate through uh super chat i don't know how any of that stuff works i need an assistant or an intern is what i need that knows that technology stuff uh because i was fishing the open i was only mildly staying engaged with what was going on in the rest of the industry i've since gone back i've looked at some stuff but i wasn't able to watch any of the live for either the mpfl or major league fishing i did keep up with what was going on in the major league fishing the bass pro tour uh going back to the Every fish counts format and not televising the opening rounds. And then obviously a different uh, set for the final rounds. It, it was an interesting dynamic. Dustin Connell blows the thing away, uh, wins another one. D Jacob Wheeler, but uh, Jacob Wheeler finishes in fourth. He was, he was dominant throughout the opening round. Spencer Sheffield. Uh, interesting and intriguing angler and in Drew Gill. I'll probably uh, try to get him on the show here soon. Uh, Oklahoma, Zach Burge off to a good start. Uh, Martin Villa, Alton Jones Jr., Justin Cooper, Jesse Wiggins, Matt Becker uh, round out the top 10. And it was a spinning rod, Demiki scope fest offshore in the middle. I talked to several of those anglers on the way back who went to Toledo Bend anticipating to fish seasonal patterns with traditional baits, a uh, trap, a jig, a chatterbait, flipping, 
a spinner bait and halfway through practice, we're out in the middle with a spinning rod. Now, obviously there's intricacies to that. Uh, the guys who are good at that are good at that, but it is interesting how many fish offshore, regardless of the conditions still play. So, uh, Congratulations to Dustin Connell off to a great start in 2024. And then, like I said, over on the MPFL, uh, Will Harkins, who's had uh, several uh, close calls, went 16-9, 16-13, and 14-3. The main question over on the NPFL was how dominant the uh, current and former Elite Series anglers would be against the returning NPFL field. And if you see uh, Will Brock, Jesse Millsaps, uh, Louis Fernandez, Buddy Gross in fifth was the highest finishing elite series angler uh, that was kind of double dipping over on the NPFL. Uh, Kyle Welcher finishes seventh. Joseph Webster finishes ninth. Former elite series and uh, FLW Tour Pro J. Todd Tucker in 10th. Current elite series pro John Sokup in 12th. Then you have Pete Pons, former elite series and FLW angler in 14th. Drew Cook in 15th. Uh, David Williams in 16th. David Fritz in 19th. So current or former elite series uh, anglers, like nine spots out of the nine top team, uh, out of the nine, out of the top 20, nine spots, but out of the top five, uh, only Buddy Gross in fifth. So the Bass Master or the Bass Talk Live website, basszone.com, is uh, updated. It has the schedule that I put out Sunday night for what's coming up the following week. We have six shows that will go out this week between the normal shows, the day four with Frank Scalish, the Burger fundraiser show at day five. Uh, we'll also have recorded shows for the following week on Lake Washita. And then as soon as this show is over, I am on the phone uh, to get the clothing finalized. It will be a late February uh, or or early March drop, possibly before that. Uh, but a lot of new, I'm going more like adult contemporary style clothing for BTL. Uh, quarter zips, uh, redesign the logo. Uh, we have kind of a circular cool uh, BTL logo that we've redesigned. But uh, looking at that website, basszone.com, uh, there's a lot of people who have, have looked at that link and it says coming in February. Just want to let everyone know. It is coming in February. So, uh, Long show today. Big shout out to Tristan McCormick. Uh, good to be back in studio. Thanks for all those. Uh, hit almost 500 live. If you guys are listening live on your uh, on your way out, please hit the thumbs up. That helps put it into the uh, algorithm so more people uh, get to see and have a chance to do this. Also, uh, if you are an iTunes listener, there's been a lot of good comments on the iTunes uh, ranking uh, five-star ranking and a comment goes a long way uh, on iTunes that goes directly to the sponsors and then also on YouTube uh, as well liking uh, liking that post and commenting on it so all right guys greatly appreciated let's put some background music in here there it is now let's get out of here on a Monday tomorrow 8 30 a.m I had a guest I no longer have a guest I gotta book a guest for tomorrow but we'll figure it out uh BTL, we'll talk to everyone later. See ya.